Welcome to this week's podcast, Building Blocks of the Indian Economy. I'm your host, Amar Meni. We have in recent episodes examined how we feed ourselves in India. Our rising prosperity has marked a shift away from staples like rice and wheat towards a growing demand for fruit and vegetables and dairy. And well, uh, we rather enjoy a lot of oil on our plates as well. Of course, having satiated our hunger, filled our stomachs, our attention then turns to how we might clothe ourselves. Clothing is a mark of civilization, and the textile industry is several thousand years old at least. It has an absolutely fabulous history in India particularly. For about a thousand years prior to British rule, India was the center of the world's textile industry. It had the perfect climatic conditions, plentiful and skilled labor, access to the latest technology, and governments which were friendly to production and trade. It was India's cotton cloth which was most prized. Gujarati traders took it by sea to East Africa and the Persian Gulf. The Chetty traders of today's Andhra Pradesh and Tamil Nadu also traveled by sea into the Malay archipelago, today's Indonesia and Malaysia. Whilst Punjabi traders went by land to Iran, Central Asia, and as far north as Russia. The British initially came to India to take part in this trade in cloth, but soon their own artisans at home were beginning to copy Indian designs. And then, in a revolutionary development, their engineers created the modern cotton mill and transformed production forever. Britain then started taking not Indian cloth, but Indian cotton which would then be spun in the mills of Lancashire to be sent back to India as finished cloth, effectively closing down the Indian textile industry for about 150 years. Well, as we will find out, some things change and some things stay the same. See, the reason that India was the center of global cotton production was, to start with, due to a natural endowment. Cotton has been called white gold, and this precious metal or precious fiber we have always had in abundance. Cotton needs warm soil to grow in, and at a certain point in its growing cycle, it is also quite thirsty for water. Now, traditionally, the center of India's cotton growing has been the western part of the country, today's Gujarat and Maharashtra, with some planting further north in Rajasthan and Punjab, and then in the south along the Coromandel coast, today's Andhra Pradesh and Tamil Nadu. What makes Gujarat and Maharashtra so ideal is their warm, dark soil, which is then fed with plentiful rainfall from the southwest monsoon. As such, cotton is a curry for summer crop in India. Now this basic pattern of planting has not changed much in recent centuries, and Gujarat continues to produce India's white gold in greatest abundance even today. Now just as wheat production benefited from the Green Revolution in the late 1960s, cotton production in India underwent a similar revolution some 30 years later, in the early 2000s. It was quite controversial at the time that the introduction of BT cotton, a genetically modified cotton designed to be more pest resistant than earlier varieties, sent India's production soaring over the next 15 years, doubling and tripling into the mid-2010s. But, a little like the high-yielding wheat seeds, 
which saw amazing results during the first few years, but then suffered for want of adaptation and innovation. The same happened to BT cotton, and in the last few years, a new type of boll worm impervious to genetic engineering has started to threaten India's cotton crop. In this time, India has vied with China to be the world's largest producer of cotton. But one thing it clearly has a lead in is the amount of land under cotton. India has in this time become a major exporter of the crop, with about 10-15% to 15 of the crop going to export markets each year. This raises a couple of issues, however, about how much land we use to grow the cotton, how much is grown, and where the surplus goes. See, like just about every other agricultural commodity, India is a huge producer by world standards, but it does so at incredibly low levels of productivity, very low yields. So India uses a lot of land, some rain-fed, some irrigated, to grow relatively little cotton per hectare, compared to many other countries. The other issue is where our exports go. Well, unfortunately not enough has changed since the British days. Although today we have rebuilt our textile industries to some scale, they are not nearly big enough that they might suck up or demand all of our crop. And so much of our raw cotton does not go to England's Lancashire anymore, but to the new Lancashires of the East, places like Bangladesh, Vietnam, and China, which all have much more competitive textile mills than India does. And in some cases, that manufactured cloth in the form of shirts and dresses and the like will be exported back to India. It is slightly unnerving to note just how low wages are in Bangladesh, much less than half the level in India. India's cotton surplus is sucked up by the hungry mills of Bangladesh, among the lowest cost producers in the world. All that being said, like most agricultural commodities, India produces first for the domestic market, with exports as an afterthought. And in India, there is a distinct preference for cotton, which is natural, given that it is in such abundance. When it comes to natural fibres, cotton dominates consumption, and about 70% of India's cloth consumption is of such natural fibres. The other 30% is man-made fibre, the most popular being polyester. Ah yes, polyester. Well, you may remember one Dhirubhai Ambani, started as a trader in Bombay's cotton market in the 1960s, and at that time, he saw polyester as the fabric of the future. It was quite new at the time, just developed in a commercial form in the 1950s by DuPont in the United States. A book about Dhirubhai Ambani's rise to riches is even called The Polyester Prince, now, Dhirubhai made his first fortune through polyester, and the Vimal brand was one of India's most popular in the 1980s. But that vision of India, dressed in polyester, never quite came about. The preference for cotton remained, some 70% of consumption, compared to 30% for polyester and other synthetics. But globally, it is actually the inverse, the opposite. 70% synthetics, mainly polyester, and just 30% or less natural fibres, like cotton. If you go into a popular global store like H&M, 
you will see this ratio on clear display. Most of their clothes are from synthetic materials, or at best, cotton blends. Now given this global preference towards synthetics, partially because they are much cheaper than cotton, and partially because they are better suited to certain types of clothing like sportswear, there has been a lot of buzz in industry and government circles in India about pivoting towards polyester. A bit like going back in time to Dhirubhai Ambani's day, back to the 1970s. But there is just one problem with this. See, polyester does not grow in India. In fact, it does not grow anywhere. It is a chemical concoction with its base in crude oil, and crude oil is not found in abundance in India. So all those avid H&M shoppers, and in fact anyone wearing polyester, is basically clothing themselves in fossil fuels. What Indian mills can do is to produce polyester yarn from the available inputs, things like crude oil, but also an array of other chemicals, the key one being purified terapathic acid, or PTA. Now it is the Reliance Group which has historically been the only Indian polyester manufacturer which can manufacture polyester from the very most basic input of crude oil to the various chemical inputs, principally PTA. It has all its own raw materials for the manufacture of polyester and can do so in its own factories and plants, mainly in Gujarat and Maharashtra. For decades now it has been the biggest producer of PTA the key import required for the manufacture of polyester, and it has always done everything in its considerable power to dominate the Indian market. Most recently, it benefited rather nicely from the government of India placing an anti-dumping levy on imports of PTA coming in from China. Ah yes, imports from China. See, we have seen some big plans to expand the production of PTA in India, with even Government of India enterprises like ONGC announcing plans for plants. But over the last 40 years or more, India's PTA production has not been able to keep up with demand. And so in order to grow or make polyester, we have largely been reliant on imports from China. Placing an anti-dumping levy only makes India's polyester manufacturers more expensive. It also makes Reliance's competitors who do not have their own supply of PTA, much more uncompetitive. That anti-dumping levy on Chinese imports was lifted in 2020, but the latest news is of a complete de facto ban on Chinese imports for not meeting certain technical standards. And it is anyone's guess what impact this might have on India's pivot or somersault back to polyester. The interesting thing is that polyester and cotton can be viewed as substitutes, but in a sense they can also be complements in the production of blended fabrics. And whilst cotton takes up land and water, polyester is, at its base, oil and chemicals, all made in a rather dirty, toxic and wasteful manufacturing process. If India wants to produce more of each fibre, it can do a number of things increase productivity, the yield of cotton in India. Yield could rise by 20 or 30 percent at least, but it runs into all the old perils of agriculture in India. Poor technology, small land holdings, not enough irrigation. And now BT cotton seeds 
which will need more work if they are not to get eaten up by worms again. For polyester, India would need to increase production of all the chemical inputs into the polyester manufacturing process. But at its base, this is oil, a scarce resource, and it is not clear if clothing is the best use of this resource right now. In any event, polyester would be something like kerosene or diesel, where we import crude oil and process it quite well at our own factories for distribution around the country. See, polyester needs to be understood as a processing industry. It is made in factories after all, not grown on farms.